0: God. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm gonna move as quickly as I can tonight so I can leave some time for praying. If you have a Bible, go with me to First Corinthians chapter 2. The book of First Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read a verse there, then I'm going to move on to 1 Corinthians 13. But 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of mine the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, when they say, I has not seen, nor ear heard, it's talking about natural eye, nor natural ear, okay? Verse 10, it goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now let's just go now to 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to be on our way. 1 Corinthians 13 in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. It goes on to say, For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Say, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And we, the, the, the theme for these three days is know as you are known. And I really truly believe that this series of teachings that we're going to cover over these next three days and subsequently to the general congregation beginning in November is going to be pivotal. It's going to be absolutely, completely Radically pivotal to the kind of results that we should be getting in our lives. You see, understanding my true identity is inextricably joined or linked to how I'm able to live out certain truths. Okay, let me say that again. You see, you and I live out based on how we see ourselves. Whether we are conscious of that or not, whether we are intentionally do that or not, we are living out from the place of our identities every single day. Every single day. Now, in this country, as is in most of the Western world, we are all too familiar with the phrase identity theft. We understand that if somebody was to steal your identity, they can make life a living hell for you. It's happened to me a couple of times. I mean, they get hold of your uh, information and charge things on your credit card I remember one time we were traveling in Nigeria, and Bobby Jean, of blessed memory, calls me while we were traveling and said to me, Pastor, they've hit you. Someone had got gra- g- get a hold of my information and charged to my American Express $70,000. Sure did? I mean, they were, they were having a great time yeah. in Paris, in London, England, all over the world. And it took months to unravel that mess. So, what the enemy has done, what he's doing—not just what has done, what he's doing right now—is blinding the eyes of believers or the church really as a whole. Because what, this, what we are talking about this week should have been the first. This should have been the first thing any new believer is taught. Get born again today, tomorrow. This is what you should be learning. But what has happened is we've acquired all kinds of information. Sometimes things work, other times they don't. And the reason they are not working is because truly you don't know who you are. It's just, that's just the bottom line. There's no better way to say it. You see, because you and I should be living from our identity. And until we understand that and embrace that and fully come into revelation of it, we are going to continue to struggle, but I thank God that we are beginning to address that subject from tonight. Amen. Paul says, I have not seen. He says, The ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the house of man. The things that God has prepared. However, these things that had been prepared were prepared for a people who understand their identity. The only way to access what's been prepared for you is you need to know who you are. You need need to understand that you have not only legal right, but you have a pedigree right to the things you are looking for in God. It's not about performance. It's all about pedigree. You need to know that because of your relationship and your union with Christ, it changes who you are. Now... Men easily identify themselves. If, if, you have, if you had a garden of men and they're having maybe a cocktail or fellowship or something, very quickly we go around the room and tell them, what do you do? I'm an accountant. I, do, I, I take care of finance. I say, oh, I'm a, yeah, I'm an expert in this. I, I do programming. I mean, we easily, readily identify ourselves by what we do. My son is starting to be a pilot. I mean, everything we do has to do with performance. Women are not far removed from that. They don't use performance, but they use relationship. I'm a mother of this. I have a, a husband. I have a child. We, we, we use the, the things that are natural to identify ourselves. Now, this, this, you know, that, that's not terrible. If you can understand that, and understand that those descriptions are short-lived. Okay, so I'm an engineer today. What happens when I retire? I'm still alive, but I'm retired. I'm no longer an engineer. So I changed my title. I'm now a retiree. Okay? So the woman that says, oh, my husband is XYZ. God forbid, if you had to get a divorce, what happens? Because life happens. Or if he was to pass and it's no longer there, your identity has been tied to something that's transient. So when that thing is removed from you, you are grappling to find out who am I? Where where am I? You've lost your sure footing. And most of our world, and most of our most believers, we still live in that realm. What we do, or who we know, or who we relate to. But God wants you and I to know that the relationship he has with us and the identity is given us far surpasses and is far more superior to these fleeting things that we attach ourselves to or we try to identify ourselves with. Are you hearing me? Yes. And so let's just go back to the very beginning. To the very, very beginning. And in this first lesson, I, 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 I titled this Identity Crisis. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So you understand that we should not try to identify ourselves with things that are passing away. Because at best, they will pass away. It's just a matter of time. So God wants me and you to identify with something that is much more certain and something that will outlive you. Look at what God says from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. And verse 12, it said, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind. Let me just stop there. You can read through the entire creation process. And you'll see that phrase repeated continually. When God made this, he did this according to its kind. And because those things were made according to its kind, they can reproduce that kind. Let me just pause. Let me just take a pause. The reason seeds can be planted and reproduce more like seed is because it was created what? According to its kind. And because it was created according to its kind, the seed in the ground does not have to toil, does not have to pray, does not have to wonder how will a mango tree produce an orange tree? No, they don't have to think about that. Why? Because the DNA in the seed was to produce effortlessly with that seed doing the work but the creator who made the seed has implanted within the seed a DNA code that makes the seed reproduce after its kind. You following me? Okay. So we see that all through the creation process. However, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. Notice, God did not make man according to his own kind. He made all the seeds according to its kind. And therefore, seed reproduced other seed like itself. But when it came to the creation of man, God said, you know what? We're going to change this process. Because what I'm looking for from this mankind I'm about to make is not another mankind. I'm looking to reproduce God kind from this mankind. And therefore, the only way to produce God kind from this mankind is that I will make them according to my own image and likeness. If the seed." Reproduced other seeds like itself. Because God put his, put his seeds, DNA in the seed. How much more a man that was made in God's image and likeness should also produce God? Is that, is that too far fetched? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If that's not happening, then the seed should not re- be able to reproduce. So every day you wake up and you see a seed reproduce, you are sure that even you, the DNA of God in you, must reproduce God. Amen. Because if you are not reproducing God, then the seed has no right, no authority to be able to reproduce. But we know that that's not the case. We have never seen an apple tree produce oranges. We have never seen oranges produce yam. You've never seen potatoes produce uh, uh, apricots. No, they always produce after the own kind, why? Because that's the way God made it. So why are we not producing God? Everything that God has to do to make us be like Him is already programmed. The challenge is we, for the most part, are living out of a different identity. That's the problem. We need to know as we are known. And when we know as we are known, we begin to live from that revelation of what God has made us. Not what you see, not what your experience is dictating to you, but knowing that God has made you a particular way, you live from that realm. And everything else around you will start lining up because God's word will never return unto him void. Never. Now, let's go a little further here. Since God made man of the same kind as himself, it therefore becomes possible for man to be joined to God and live together with him in an organic union. This is so beautiful. This is, impro- this is amazing. The reason plants cannot live with God, they have different kinds. They have different kinds. The reason, the reason a man cannot mate with a dog and produce something else. They're of different kind. It's not possible. No matter where this perversion is going, it will never happen. Amen. But the reason you and I can produce God is because by the very fact or truth that God places DNA in us, we come into an organic union with him. And it is in that union that reproduction takes place let's look at the scripture in 1 john chapter 4 1 john chapter 4 1 john chapter 4, john chapter 4. verse 15 1 john 4 verse 15 Look at what it says. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And the reason I'm using this scripture now is because we've almost made it so mystical. When we read John chapter 15, uh, that talks about how I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. And we're just trying to find out what does it mean to abide? Abide. What, 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 is, what, what does God mean when He says "abiding in Him and He in us"? It's very simple. We just read it, 1 John four fifteen. Believing, believing. The moment you believe God, the moment you believe Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, the moment you believe and confess Jesus to be your Lord, the moment you believe, you are abiding. And if you are abiding, Jesus said, "You will bring." It is a perhaps you shall. It is every now and then you will. He said you will bring forth much fruit. Now, going back to the to what we are trying to address tonight, and that's the issue of um, identity crisis. Let me go to Genesis chapter two again. Genesis chapter two, verse nine. And I'm telling you what, what I found out as I began to study for, for this series, the enemy has not changed his method at all. I'm telling you. He, he, he has not changed one iota. What he used in the guiding, what he used with Jesus, is the exact same thing he's still using with the body of Christ till this day. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And you're going to see that as, as these days go by. Genesis two nine. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, I've always wondered about the temptation that the enemy that Satan placed before Eve. I mean, it's so, it looked... You know, you just say, has God not said? And then, of course, the, the Satan put words in her mouth, and it appeared as if she was so gullible to just fall for it. But upon closer examination, a temptation cannot really be a temptation if there was no tiny sliver of truth in it. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. A temptation can... You cannot tempt me with something that I just absolutely, completely loathe. That has no attraction or benefit or, or advantage to me. You can never tempt him with it. Where's the temptation in that? For it to be a temptation, there must be some kind of attraction. Something about that thing that either makes sense or that may have some a a tiny one percentage of truth, something in it. And this is what I found out. In Genesis 2.9, God, who has created this earth, now brought Adam and Eve inside the garden. What that tells me is the garden was not the only location on earth. Because he just didn't create a garden. He created the earth, we are told. But of the earth he created, he brought them inside the garden. And verse 9 said, let's read it again. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also... In the midst, okay, let me me just start from even verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Why? Why did he put him in the garden? He planted a garden there. And then when I brought the man from where he was, I put him in the garden. Are you following this? Okay. Verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Now, why did the Bible say so specifically that the tree of life, which was mentioned first, was in the midst of the garden and also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why did God bring them and put them there? Now, of course, he did not give them express instruction. But God was leading them on and encouraged them to do something. Obviously, he's encouraging them to partake of the tree of life. Because he went out to tell them later on, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he, in, in doing so, in saying that, he eliminated for them what not to do. But he said to them, out of all these trees, let me emphasize two of them. Tree of life and tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ah, but by the way, this one, don't eat it all. What is he saying? If he's telling them what not to eat, and has reduced the entire garden to two major trees, but he's telling them what not to eat, he is in fact trying to encourage them to eat of the tree of life. Why? Because up to that time, even though they were naturally made as a, as a perfect entity, Paul later on gave us a commentary about Adam and Eve in 1 Corinthians 15 45. He said the first Adam, as good as he was, was only a living soul. But that the last Adam is a life giving spirit. It is in fact a truth that when Satan tempted them, they were not totally completely like God. I'm going to let you just settle for a minute. They They were made perfect, yes. But at that time, they could not give life. Paul said they were a living soul. That's all they were. They existed. They had some form of God. Yes. But they had... They, they, they were not in the position to have the ability to completely be all that God intended. And therefore, let me say to you and I, tonight, we should not even ever compare the first Adam. We, they, they, we should not put them in the same room. We should never, under any circumstance, try to compare our life in Adam With our life in Christ. is not even close. It pales in comparison. Because at best, the first Adam was just a breathing, living soul. Now, God has given you the ability. Whosoever since you remit, they are remitted. Oh my God. Whosoever since you retain, they are retained. Why? Because in the last Adam, in Christ Jesus, you have the ability to give life. It's serious. It's serious. So, let's go f- to Philemon. And uh, yeah, we're going to pray in a minute. Philemon, verse 6. It's only one, one chapter, so that's easy to find. What Adam and Eve did was that they went ahead of God to try to be something that God has already prepared for them. That's the real true commentary on that. God has already prepared for them to be like him by making available to to them that tree of life. Because without that life that comes from that tree, they were a living soul, but they could not be a life-giving soul. But the provision was already made. They didn't need to do anything to be that, other than just to follow what God was saying to them. Philippians, verse 6, this is why we're doing this tonight. Paul is talking. He says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, you and I need to come to the place where we know what God has done with us, in us, and what is prepared for us. That is when our life can become effective. Amen? Amen. So, going back to Genesis, the original sin was actually a test of Adam and Eve's knowledge of who they were. So, there was an identity crisis way back in Eden. And as you will see tomorrow night, it didn't stop there. They didn't know who they really were. If they had they will have rejected Satan's offer. Because the truth is, they were more like God before they sinned than they were after they sinned. Okay. This is the same temptation Satan uses against us today. And I want to make this statement. All sins are rooted in not having the right concept of who we really are. Let me go through a list of some of them before we pray. All sins. A big one that faces us right now homosexuality. Homosexuality. It is a perversion of our true sexual identity. Why? It's so quiet in this room. Did I say something wrong? (laughs) You can see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 27. I don't have the time to go read it. But write that down and read that for yourself. So what I'm saying is, something has perverted people's mind to think they are what they are not. Okay. So there are no homosexuals here. So maybe that, that, does not, that goes over your head. How about lying? Why do we lie? We lie because we identify with Satan who is the father of lies. Easy. John 8.44, instead of us aligning with our Heavenly Father, who the Bible says in Hebrews 6.18, can never lie. So every time I lie, or anybody tells a lie, what they are really doing, according to Jesus, is that you do the deeds of your father. And he says that Satan is a liar from the beginning. So if I don't really understand who I am, and my disposition is to work in my natural flesh, when it's convenient, I tell a lie. And when you do that, Jesus said, you do the deeds of your father. Stealing. Same thing. When people steal, what happens? They see themselves as takers. I'm entitled to this. I need to take this. It's mine. Is that the attitude of God? No, God is a giver. For God so loved the world, He gave. So if I constantly find myself struggling between giving and stealing, I have it. I'm in the crisis. Murder. That's another one. Is thinking more highly of oneself than we should. Now, what is our line of defense? The greatest line of defense for the lies of the devil is a total confidence in who God says we are and what we already have in him. Now, let me give us four quick things here as we get ready to pray to help us develop healthy identity. Now, I'm bringing these teachings in short measures. Short, uh, I'm making it short, basic, fundamental because I don't want to inundate you with too much information. Tomorrow night, we're going to go a little more and then Friday night, we're going to go a little more. Uh, but progressively, you're going to begin to see the picture develop. And for weeks to come in November at the church, we're going to bring uh, more of this. But so now, four things very quickly that will help us develop healthy identity. Number one. Number one, let's go to first John. OK, let me. First John. 3 verse 9, 1 John 3 verse 9, 1 John 3 verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him for he, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, in this one verse, the issue of pedigree is mentioned three times. In that one verse, whoever has been born of God, number one, his seed remains in him, number two, and then lastly, because he has been born of God. Three times, three times the scripture emphasizes our relationship with God through the spiritual rebirth. So the first thing in order to develop healthy identity mindset is to recognize it's not about my performance but about my pedigree. Whose are you? You have to settle that. Are you born of God? And if so, does his seed remain in you? And the answer to both is yes, if you are born again. You have to know that. No matter what comes at you, you must find your feet and know you are born of God. He still remains in you. You are born of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says the same thing. In fact, let me read this one, 1 John 3, 9, from the message translation. 1 John 3, 9. First John 3, 9. Message. Okay. Here we go. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them making them who they are. In the same way as the seed that was made according to its own kind, reproduced its own kind because the DNA is in the seed, what we have been told here is because God's uh, seed is deep within us, that seed of God makes us who we are. It's not in the nature of the God begotten to practice and parade sin. Here's how you tell the difference between God's student and the devil's student. The one who who won't practice righteousness, rather, the one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God. Nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. Another good example here for us, and I would not, yeah, maybe I better read it. I better read it. No, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Let me just take the time to do this. Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 25. This is so, so, so beautiful. You remember the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, as it's been traditionally said. You know, the old the the younger brother went out, squandered his father's resources and came back home. Father received him back. Hmm, okay, I won't touch that now. Verse 25, let's pick it up from here. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he, was, he has received him safe and sound, Your father has killed Father Calf. Look at verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, now look at this guy's point of reference. Lo, these many years I've been serving you. What is that? Performance. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Performance, And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might marry with my friends. So his mindset was definitely wrong. Rather than seeing himself as a son of the father, he saw himself as a servant of the father. He considered his acceptance to be based on his performance rather than on his pedigree. And I'm telling you, that's what the enemy is still doing today. Because if you don't understand this simple fundamental thing that we're talking about tonight, you will not have sense of worth. You won't have sense of confidence. Your faith will be crippled. You will lack boldness to approach the throne of God. You walk in condemnation. You walk in guilt. And on and on and on and on it goes. Okay? Look at verse 31. Look at the father's response. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. You are in union with me. You're always here. And all I have is yours. It's never been based on performance, what you do and what you do not do. But it's been based on the union that we have. And that's the exact same thing that God is offering to us and has offered to us In Jesus' name. So number one, you need to recognize it's a matter of pedigree, not performance. Number two, of course, you must be born again. You must be born again. And number three, you have to eat of the tree of life. And lastly, how do you eat of the tree of life? John chapter 6, verse 51. By eating of the living word. You have to meditate. You have to feed who you are on the living word. That's what John chapter 6 is all about. Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. That's why you must take this word and believe it and eat it and receive it and meditate on it over and over and over and over and over. Amen? There's an identity crisis going on. But we don't have to be taken away by it. We can rediscover who we are and live from that realm of who we are, rather than allow ourselves to become victim to what the world is trying to say we are. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to our feet. Pastor Tosin, get in my place. Let's spend the next five minutes in prayer, and we're going to pick it up from here tomorrow night. Testing, testing. This mic on.
1: Hallelujah. Let's just give God thanks tonight for all that we have heard. Father, I was so grateful to you. Thank you for opening our eyes, O oh God, to begin to understand who we are in you. We recognize, oh God, that we are your children. Lord, tonight open our eyes, oh God, that we may know the depth of the value of that you have placed upon us. We acknowledge every good things that we have in Christ tonight. We declare because of Christ we are the head and the tail. Because of Christ we are above and not beneath. Because of Christ we are made complete in you. Because of Christ we are called the love of God. Because of Christ we are accepted in the beloved. Because of Christ, we have life. You said he that has the son has life. And so, Father, we acknowledge we have life. And because of this life, O oh God, we exercise victory. Victory over sin. Victory over the lies of the enemy. For we recognize, O oh God, that you have come that we may have life and have abundantly. And when you said it is finished, O oh God, we recognize we walk in the abundant life of Christ. And so, Father, we want to thank you tonight that, Lord God Almighty, identity crisis is no longer found in us. We recognize who we are and whom we belong to. We are the children of the Most High God. We are made in the image and in his likeness. We produce after our Father. We talk like our Father. We walk like our Father. Father, we behold like our Father. Father, Lord, everything that we are, oh God, we leave it from the throne room. We recognize almighty that we are seated in the heavenlies. At your right hand far above principalities or powers. Father, thank you because therefore we know, oh God, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are not intimidated by the lies of the enemy because we know who we are. We are not intimidated oh God by the things of this world because we know who we are. Father, all things because they belong to you they belong to us and therefore we thank you my god that lord we manifest the good things that is in god in the name of jesus father i want to thank you because of who we are oh god in you We thank you because you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. My God, therefore, Lord, we declare concerning this life, oh God, all things that we have will exercise our power. In the godly life, oh God, we thank you because we walk in the life of Christ. We want to bless you today. We glorify you, oh God. We magnify you. We celebrate who we are. We are glad we are the children of God. We celebrate the love you have for us. We know we are worth something in your sight, oh God. Father, you placed a value upon us when you gave us your only begotten son. Father, thank you. Because all of who you are, oh God, you gave it, oh God, as a value upon who we are supposed to be. And so we identify with that tonight. That because we are valuable in your sight. Father, the things of this world do not intimidate us. The things of this world do not entice us, oh God. Father, thank you. Because we remain rooted and grounded in you. And because this is who we are in you. We remain immovable. We remain unshakable. We thank you because we find our balance in you. We magnify your name for it. We exalt you tonight. We lift our heads up high. We declare we walk in confidence. We do not cast away our confidence that has a great recompense of reward. That means to us, oh God, our confidence is knowing who we are in you. And this we do not cast away. Because Lord, you have imputed it upon us. We bless you for it. We glorify you. Let somebody just give him praise tonight. 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 We bless you, Lord. We glorify you. We magnify you. As we go home tonight, may this word, almighty God, become a life in us. Father, as we meditate upon this word, open our eyes, oh God, that we may know more. We desire to know more. We understand that as we discover this, oh God, Father, Lord, we become more and more established in this truth. You said we will know the truth, and the truth would make us free. Thank you for the truth that we have heard tonight, that we are set free, almighty God, from all the shackles and the lies of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we bless you tonight. We thank you for tomorrow. Thank you, Almighty God, for our eyes, O God, will be opened more and more, O God, to the truth that we have. Father, therefore, we pray, O God, that as your word comes forth, Father, indeed, it will find a place of expression in our lives, O God, in the name of Jesus. We honor you tonight. We thank you as we go home. Thank you, O God, because, Lord, the way has been paved for us already. We recognize who we are. Therefore, anything on the road, bow to us, O God. Father, we bless your name for it. We magnify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.